Fox, and this is another episode of The Verdict is In. And I am here to warn you about arbitration so that you take it seriously, both from the employer standpoint and the employee standpoint. Arbitration clauses became popular decades ago, and most of them include what are called AAA, American Arbitration Association, clauses. And those allow not just retired judges, but practicing lawyers to serve as arbitrators and mediators. Let me give you my first warning. I've had cases where I found out after the fact that the arbitrator that we selected had shaded their resume. In other words, hidden that they had actually worked for the company we were suing on a live case, six of them. They didn't disclose the conflict because they needed the revenue. And the danger in AAA using active practicing lawyers is that those lawyers need the revenue and will not always disclose their conflicts. A conflicted arbitrator is a useless arbitrator and one who can basically undercut the confidence that the users of that arbitration group will have in that association. And I certainly have made it clear in my complaints to the American Arbitration Association that they need to clean it up, that they need to have Retired judges only because retired judges live a life where they're trained to follow ethical principles, where they avoid conflicts and avoid them as a matter of practice. They have not represented clients in the industries in which you're suing. The other thing that you have to be very well aware of is that the cost of arbitration has skyrocketed. It used to be very affordable for either a plaintiff or a defendant to go to arbitration. Now the arbitrators charge thousands of dollars for their time. AAA and other organizations set the claim based on the amount of money that you're trying to recover as a plaintiff. A lot of these costs are you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And certainly for the employee, you probably can't afford it. And for the company, the fact that the employee can't afford it is a problem. And why is that a problem? Well, you can write as many arbitration clauses into your agreements, and I'm talking to general counsel now in a stern voice saying, review your arbitration clauses. They require an employee to give up their Sixth Amendment right to a jury trial. And so, therefore, there's a public policy now in many states that has been kind of employed by courts to find that these arbitration clauses are void or voidable because they simply there's too much duress in the handing of the contract to the employee. There isn't a waiver that's knowing, and a waiver should always be knowing of claims, and that there's too much given away by the, by the defendant or the employee or the plaintiff employee. The reality is that if you go to a state or federal court, you're not charged for the judge's time. And that's important. Let me say that again. If you go to a federal or state court, you are not charged for the judge's time. And that means that it is a lot less expensive to go to federal or state court. And you have a right to a jury trial where citizens who are like you, who have been through experiences like you, get to sit on the jury. So big companies don't want you to be able to participate fairly in the resolution of the claims. Not not the particular people at the company, but the, the lawyers who are hired to try to figure out how to protect the company put these arbitration clauses together to throw huge burdens on top of the employee. 
Now, the reason I'm talking to general counsel of corporations, because I represent many large corporations, is you're not doing your client any service to write and draft these burdensome, archaic arbitration clause provisions. You should, as a company, if you're going to force an employee into a waiver of their rights to a jury trial, you should be at least willing to pay for the cost of the arbitration. You could transfer the arbitration costs back on your employee, but if your employee loses the case, I don't know many arbitrators who are going to then throw the arbitration costs on top of it unless it's a top executive with a lot of cash and a lot of money. So my first point here is that large corporations should do a review of their arbitration clauses and some of the laws of their state that are now finding that these arbitration clauses are against public policy and therefore unenforceable because they are shifting what are very significant costs to the employee. The employee is unaware of this when they sign their employment agreement. And effectively, because of the cost situation, the employee can't afford to arbitrate. And that is certainly not how anyone intended arbitration to work. The arbitration costs get split between the plaintiff and the defendant in the case. And if the one party defaults because they can't pay, unlike in a court action where if you don't do what you're supposed to do, they'll dismiss the case or your claims. In arbitration, if you don't pay your fees and the other side doesn't agree to pay them for you, the arbitration organization will dismiss the case and tell you to go resolve it somewhere else because they want to be paid. They don't work for free. Again, let me underscore this. Federal and state court judges do not charge you for their time. They do not. But arbitrators and mediators do. Our firm has a dispute, and I want to try to mediate it, which is a non-binding process where you try to use a retired judge to kind of lean on both sides to meet in a middle point. For one day of mediation, it costs $12,500. I mean, can you believe that? So for some of our smaller clients or artist clients who are just making a name for themselves, these costs are astronomical. They're burdensome. They're oppressive. So that's the first thing that both the employer and the employee need to think about. And as an employee, you know, if you have any leverage at all, if you have any ability to push back, read the small printed arbitration clauses usually end up at the end of an agreement under provisions such as venue or choice of law. Read them and try to find a lawyer somewhere. And if you're really stuck, call her firm. We'll read the arbitration clause for you, but it'll tell you where you have to arbitrate how much time you have to carry on the arbitration, whether you're allowed to take depositions or demand documents. And also, I had a case where the parties wrote in a process where after the single arbitrator had ruled, they could appeal to a panel of three arbitrators within JAMS, and I'll go over these different organizations, to decide whether the first arbitrator had done their job correctly. Now, the purpose of arbitration was to have an affordable, quick-moving process where there would be very limited rights of appeal so that the case would be over when it's over, not forever going through you know, appellate stages or review stages. So the fact that courts allow and don't strike down provisions where if you lose in front of one arbitrator, you got to win in front of three more who review the claims, either de novo, meaning entirely new, or look for material error by the arbitrator below, that defeats the whole purpose of arbitration. And the fact that Jams even allowed that was kind of kind of struck me as 
problematic because you know these organizations who are participating in the world of arbitration and mediation should realize that they should be acting consistent with the laws of the land about arbitration and uh, mediation. But the problem is, and most people don't realize this, is arbitration in its entirety grows out of contractual negotiations. It's it's not a legislative provision. There are some laws that require in some instances that you go to an arbitration or a mediation in an industry setting, and many judges require you to go to a court-provided mediator or arbitrator in some instances and have arbitration programs. But for the most part, arbitrations grow out of contracts that are entered into by the parties and negotiated by the parties usually with one party having significant bargaining power over the other. And therefore, what I'm here to talk about is I think that both parties benefit from a more fair set of arbitration provisions. I don't think a company really wants to write arbitration clauses only to have them found to be in violation of public policy and not forced. And more and more courts are beginning to do that. And I don't think an employee wants to wake up and find out that If they were sexually harassed or they were wrongfully terminated or discriminated against or there was a hostile work environment or their contract was breached and they weren't paid what they should have been paid or the, you know, the law was the labor laws were violated, that they they don't want to believe that their, their only place that they can go is an arbitration where they may pay 50, 70, 80, 90, $100,000 in fees to get to the end. And this is something I think the whole arbitration industry has to wake up to and understand. You know, the idea that any employee who might be making fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars in a year or a hundred thousand, or hundred and twenty, or hundred and forty has to go to an arbitration where their half of the fees could be fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, eighty thousand dollars is atrocious. And I think, you know, it's time for the legislature and the organizations that are very prominent in the arbitration space and some industry executives to get together and fix this problem. And I think the courts are stepping in now and starting to find some of these arbitration clauses void as against public policy. And that's a very vague legal principle as to what is and not void as against public policy. But if you're an executive and you have a lawyer negotiating the clause for you and you redline some of the provisions and it goes back and forth and you have something approaching equal bargaining position, then then you're going to have to abide by your arbitration clause. But if you are an employee at a lower level job who's essentially forced to sign a take-it-or-leave-it contract with the exception of pay and a few other provisions, you might have had some leverage negotiating. There are laws now in many states that prevent the enforcement of burdensome arbitration clauses. And what makes them burdensome? Well, they require the employee to pay half the arbitration costs, and those are tens of thousands of dollars. Or they write in a level of appellate review within the arbitration service, which goes against the grain of what arbitration is supposed to be, which is final when over. Or it doesn't provide for a quick dispensing of the case. So there's a lot of things that you need to review. And of course, you know, there's been a lot of discussion in the lay of the land about the importance of adhering to the Constitution. Well, the Constitution gives every individual the right to a jury trial, unless it's a matter of equity, which is something to do with the court's discretion 
based on equitable principles going back to the days of the courts in England. But if you have a legal claim, breach of contract, fraud, you lied to me, you made a false promise, you fraudulently concealed something to me that you had a fiduciary duty to disclose, you made a material statement of fact that was false, you defamed me, you slandered me, you breached a fiduciary duty in connection with the running of a business, you breached my employment contract, you breached my delivery contract, all those agreements are legal and all those claims are legal in nature and those are capable of being litigated in court and will be litigated in court in state or federal court unless you agree to or are subject to an arbitration clause or a clause that requires you to mediate first. And there's a lot of clauses that require you to go to mediation first and then to arbitration. And none of them tend to be very good about, sometimes they don't say anything other than the parties are to agree upon an arbitrator. And that's a problem because if the parties are already in dissension and disagreement, how are they going to agree on an arbitrator or an arbitration forum? There are over a hundred different arbitration companies probably more than that in the United States. And the well-known ones are jams, which is very good because they have retired judges who do a very good job, but very expensive. I call jams the Mercedes of arbitration, meaning only affordable by people who could drive a Mercedes. And, you know, they have some programs that allow indigent parties to participate, but they're very hard to get into. They're usually in big buildings in the middle of the city where parking alone is very expensive. While they may validate you, the whole process is daunting and expensive. And so the reality is you should stipulate in your contract where the parties are going to go. There might be a local arbitration group that you would prefer. You might want AAA based on some changes it's making to become a little more fair, I think, and a little bit more transparent about the arbitrators and maybe relying on practicing lawyers less. But there's groups and organizations that provide retired judges, which I think are the best. Your agreement can call for a retired judge or magistrate. A magistrate in the federal court system is an assistant to a judge. And they're very good. Usually they have a lot of the same ethical training and upbringing and the ability to be neutral, which is important. These are neutrals. They're supposed to be neutral. They're human beings. They bring to the table their own feelings about life and issues, but they have to put those to the side and be neutral. And so the key is for you to write in language that would allow both parties to the contract to feel comfortable that they're in a place where both parties feel it's a good place to resolve their issue. If the employee is made to feel that they can't afford it at all and uncomfortable because of where it is and the type of arbitrators that are involved who usually have a slanted view or are pro-corporation or pro-industry, then you're going to have issues of enforceability. Also, the real shocker is When arbitration first came out, it was fast, and it did move fast, and a lot of people were big fans of it. However, I have some corporate clients that are willing to jump into state or federal court and deal with the risk of having a case, try the case in front of a jury. And of course, I will talk for hours on 
how corporations hire big firm lawyers who have no real trial experience, and they go into court and talk over the jurors' heads, and they lose their cases, and then they wonder why, as opposed to finding a very good trial lawyer who knows how to simplify complex matters and knows how to try a case to a jury. I'm shocked still at how many corporations hire people who've maybe done one jury trial. I mean, unbelievable. But all that aside, the reality here is that when you're in federal or state court and you're up in front of a judge, they want to move the case as quick as they can or settle it, and they want to make sure that the case doesn't go on forever. Some of the judges in federal court are very good about moving a case along and putting time limits on witnesses' testimony. But when they become retired judges at a place like JAMS, which I have great respect for, by the way, I really like all the retired judges there, I think highly of all of them. When they go to a place like that, the problem is, is that they get paid by the hour, just like a lawyer. And there's no real incentive for them to shorten the process or make it go quicker. Many of them now are hearing motions that are usually reserved for state and federal court litigation, like motions for summary judgment. A motion for summary judgment is a motion that is really made to argue to a judge in a state or federal court case that there is no material issue of fact that should go to the jury or that there is a legal reason for why the case should be resolved in one party's favor or the other. Typically, it'd be the defendant making such a motion. And while I think sometimes courts are overly aggressive in granting motions for summary judgment and wiping out a person's constitutional right to a jury trial, the truth of the matter is, is that they do serve a useful purpose in a very busy court system of kind of ferreting out claims that shouldn't take up a juror's time. But in arbitration, there's one person usually, one single arbitrator, unless you provide in your contract that you want more, and that makes it more expensive. One arbitrator who is going to hear the evidence and you know, you're not trying to protect yourself from going to a jury trial where the argument can be made that if you let the case go to a jury, they're not going to listen to the jury instructions entirely or understand them and they're going to rule based on emotion. Uh, jurors, by the way, don't rule based on emotion. They actually get the big points of evidence and they really assess credibility pretty well. And they often ask questions about the jury instructions, and they do a pretty darn good job. But a lot of big companies are afraid to go in front of a jury. And so they um, look for the certainty of a single person who's a retired judge who has seen a little bit of the world and is not going to be shocked and rule based on emotion. Well, all right, there might be something to be said for that, although I've seen and I have received from arbitrators, punitive damage judgments. So it's not like you're going to be punitive damages free if you go into arbitration. But the reality is, is that the case shouldn't really involve a motion for summary judgment. I would argue that you should put in your arbitration clause that there are to be no motions made other than a motion to compel production of documents, but that, that it's to go to a hearing within a short period of time, 120 days, 150 days, 180 days, and that there shall be no motions for summary judgment. But what does that mean? Well, it means that the defense can't force you to do a ton of work or force your lawyers to do a ton of work to respond to a motion to throw the case out before it goes to a hearing before an arbitrator. And the chances are very high the arbitrator will deny the motion anyhow, 
But to be forced to spend that kind of money or for your lawyer to spend that kind of time in what's what's supposed to be an inexpensive and fast-moving process is it shouldn't be allowed. But again, these are rights that are given birth to in contracts. So you have to state in the contract that there should be no motions for summary judgment. And the reality is, is that a lot of these arbitrators, it's in their self-interest to deny the motion for summary judgment after considering it and ruling on it and charging you for all the massive time they have to do spend doing that because they can go on and have a full hearing with live witnesses and charge you for that. So it's, it, to me, you know, I, I'm very upset that motions for summary judgment are filed in arbitration cases, although I'm going to file one in one of mine because they're now allowed. And if it's to your advantage, a lawyer will always do it, but it doesn't mean that it, it fits the principles behind the process as it was originally contemplated. Also, a lot of people think that their arbitration forms are confidential. You have to realize that sometimes the only thing that's confidential is that the arbitrator and the employees at the arbitration service can't talk about your case or share facts about your case. But unless you state that the arbitration shall remain confidential throughout, it's not clear under the law that it is going to be kept confidential. And you shouldn't assume it will be. Also, you should remember if the other side wins the arbitration and goes to confirm their award, they will confirm it in state or federal court. And when they do that, typically they will have to attach the arbitration award and it'll become public. And the judgment that's entered will become public against you. Now, that's a reason why a number of companies, when they lose an arbitration, knowing they have to pay, will agree to pay right away if the other side agrees to vacate the award or agree, stipulate to vacate it so there's no record of it or that they will not confirm it. And the award just is never really made part of the public record. When you do a search for judgments against parties, you don't always pick up arbitrations because they're in a private organization's files. And unless there's been a confirmation of an award, which typically gets cut off by a party paying the other side and not having a record made, you won't pick up arbitrations, but you can nose around a little bit, try to see what lawyers represent a particular party you're investigating and call them up. Now, I'm going to close up here by saying, most importantly, the following points that I've repeated over and over again. If you're drafting a contract and you're drafting an arbitration clause, do not block and copy it, general counsel or corporate president or owner of a small business, from somebody else's contract. It may not fit your industry. It may not fit your circumstance. And you may be copying an arbitration provision now against public policy. Have a meeting within your corporation about the arbitration provisions that you're going to ask your employees to sign. This world today is about nurturing and being fair to employees, not being oppressive. So maybe you'll call your employees in and tell them that you're going to ask them to sign for these arbitration clauses so that the dispute can be kept out of the public eye for both parties, but that you're going to pay the fees of their attorneys if there's a dispute and will not ask for fee shifting even if you win. And that, you know, there will be no heavy motion practice, no motions for summary judgment and other tools of that sort, so that it really is an exchange of documents, maybe one or two depositions and a hearing where a fair arbitrator can hear the claim. If you're in American Arbitration Association, 
I would object to any lawyer who's sitting on the panel, even though some are probably very good. They just bring their biases. They're practicing. They have clients. Their partners have clients. That's, that's too dangerous. Anyhow, I'm going to sign off. This is really important stuff that many companies just don't get right and many employees don't even know about. So be forewarned. Our firm is hired by a number of companies to write and rewrite their arbitration clauses for them. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.